Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the Gospel reading, these verses in particular of Mark chapter 6, And then he, Jesus, commanded them all to sit down in groups upon the green grass, and so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Just this past Thursday, I shared with our Senior Saints Bible class a review that was written about a new book that's entitled Biocentrism. Scientist Robert Lanza wrote the book, and using the latest findings in physics and quantum Mechanics, Dr. Lanza posits a fascinating new worldview, which, if accepted by the scientific community, would indeed be quite revolutionary for them. The world, he says, appears to be designed for life. And more than that, he says, the universe has a long list of traits, and I'm quoting them, that makes it appear if everything it contains, from the smallest atoms to the largest stars, was tailor-made just for us. Some have called that, he explains, the Goldilocks effect, the notion that the cosmos is not to this and it's not to that. Remember the story of Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, not too hard, not too soft. But that the whole universe, he contends, is made in such a way that it's not to this, it's not to that, it's just right. Just right for life, the cosmos, just right. Tweak any one of the insignificant, seemingly little details of it, tweak it in the slightest way, he says, and we wouldn't exist. Life wouldn't be here, but here we are. Here we are because the cosmos, he says, is just right for life. And yet, amazingly, where is life to be found? Life is to be found right here on planet Earth. To be sure, we've been looking for life elsewhere, for a long time. This year we celebrate the 25th anniversary of the SETI project that still operates and is taking place just a few miles from us over in Mountain View. The search for extraterrestrial intelligence where hundreds of scientists have been diligently looking for any life indicators in outer space. To date, nothing has been found, nothing employing the most sophisticated gadgets known to mankind, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence has found nothing which would surely seem to be consistent with what this scientist has been saying. Lanza has said regarding the uniqueness of planet Earth in this vast universe in which we live, that indeed not simply the, the solar system around us, but the, the galaxies itself and the universe itself has been tailor-made just for us. It's a mind-boggling thought. It's a, a mind-boggling thought to think that the universe and everything in it, from atoms to stars, was made with us in the designer's mind. That's mind-boggling. And it's also a most humbling thought. 
humbling and numbing, especially when we consider that we have done nothing, absolutely nothing to merit being placed at the biocentric center of everything that exists in this universe. In fact, we as the human race have done everything humanly possible to undo all that God has done for us collectively as mankind, individually as sinful men, women, and children. We would be, as our epistle lesson today spells it out so clearly, we would be alienated from God, we would be separated from God, we would be strangers to God because of our sins, and St. Paul makes that so abundantly clear. We would have no hope for the future. We would be without God in this world because of our sinfulness. We would be, he says, far away, far off from God, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But now, St. Paul says in today's epistle lesson, but now you who were once far off, talking about the condition in which we first even were born, but you who were once far off have now been what brought near, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ who has, as we heard in the epistle lesson, reconciled us unto God in his body through the cross so that we are no longer strangers, we're no longer aliens, he says, but now we are fellow citizens with the saints and we are members of the household of God. That's the extravagant grace of God. When you think of the vastness of the universe, when you think of us as being the biocentric center of it all, when you think of what God has done to then save and to redeem us who are so undeserving of it all, it all spells out one word, extravagance. The extravagant grace of God toward us demonstrated no more definitively than on the cross, defined nowhere more exactly and precisely than in his holy word, dispensed nowhere more powerfully and more effectively and precisely than in his sacraments, wherein the benefits of that cross are lavished upon you individually and fully and completely, proof positive that you are, as St. Paul says in today's epistle lesson, the dwelling place for God. By the Holy Spirit, he has deigned to dwell with you, to live within you, to be with you, day in and day out, no matter what the circumstances of life might be. Australian author Grantley Morris puts it this way. He says, no matter how you might feel from day to day, and how true it is, how much of a bearing that all too often has upon what we think of God and ourselves, but he said, no matter how you may feel, from day to day, the fact remains that you are the focus of God's attention. Doted on, he says, as though you were the only friend that God has. If ever a man wanted to shower his bride with love, and if ever a father wanted to shower his son with gifts, God longs to lavish you with his extravagance. Hear that one more time. God loves to lavish you with his extravagance. Lavish. It's a beautiful word, that word lavish. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul used. We heard it a couple of weeks ago in the epistle lesson 
where the Apostle Paul uses that very word. He says, in, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We've got the, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to, note this now, the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us. What a great word that word lavish is. What might surprise you is that it comes from the word lava. A word to us which immediately brings to mind the molten rock that flows down from the exploding volcano. Such a negative word it seems to be associated with something so phenomenally great as the grace of God. But interestingly the word lava as originally used had nothing to do with volcanoes. It's really an old Latin word which describes, quote, torrential rain that overflows into the streets, washing out the streets. That's what the word lava originally meant. It wasn't until the volcanic eruption of Mount Vesuvius that destroyed Pompeii back in 79 AD that the word lava was then used to refer to rivers of molten rock that were running through the streets instead. But before that time, and certainly in the time of the Apostle Paul, the word lava, as he uses it, had to do with cleansing water. So ancient Jewish basins that were ceremonially used for cleansing water, as well as early Christian baptismal fonts, wherein adults and infants were born from above by water and the Spirit, were both called lavers. L-A-V-E-R-S, lavers where God's forgiving, where God's cleansing grace for sinners is lavished in lavatory fashion is lavished upon us in a torrential and in an overflowing way. And how true it is, God lavishes us with his extravagant gifts of grace which always turn into an overflowing of temporal and eternal blessings. Indeed, what is it that St. Paul asks us all rhetorically? He says, if he spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him freely give us everything that we need? How could it be any other way? How could it be any other way than Martin Luther so vividly portrays it when he says, I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he's given me my body and my soul, my eyes and ears and all my members, my senses and still preserves them and also clothing and shoes and meat and drink and house and home and wife and children and fields and cattle. You were memorized it all and all my goods that he richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and this life. God has his eye constantly upon you. And in today's gospel, it certainly indicates that as well, a multitude of 5,000 men. And that's just the men alone who were gathered, plus the women that were there and the children. St. Mark tells us that these 5,000 were gathered there. St. John tells us that it was on a mountainside to hear Jesus speak. You know who they were. They were the scattered sheep of Israel. The ones that Jeremiah spoke about in the Old Testament lesson today, scattered because of unfaithful and cowardly shepherds of God's flock who had for generations not been defending the sheep from the false teachings 
of wolves that had come into their midst to mislead and to misguide them, wolves who would come stealthily into their midst to first disturb them and then to disperse and to scatter them and then finally to devour the weakest and the most vulnerable and careless wanderers among them. The scattered sheep of Israel, as the Old Testament prophet said, now being gathered together by the chief shepherd, by the great shepherd, by God himself, who said, I will shepherd my people, Israel. Jesus Christ, who identifies himself in the Gospels as being the good shepherd, who would lay down his life for his sheep, the good shepherd who would feed them the bread, not only that they needed for their bodies, but the bread that they needed for their souls, which he identified himself as being, later giving them even his very body and his very blood, which would in due time be delivered to them in the sacramental bread and wine of his holy supper. Sacred bread for their souls, but he dearly loved the whole man. And so he, in our gospel reading for today, also provides them with the daily bread that was needed for their bodies, the bread that he had taught them to pray for when he said to them, and when you pray, you say, Give us this day our daily bread. You see, he who once said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, also knew that man cannot live without bread for the body. And so he looks compassionately upon the unprepared thousands who had carelessly, like scattered sheep, given no thought as to where they would be spending the day and the night when, as Mark tells us, they, quote, ran to where Jesus was on foot from all of the towns. And that very report of Mark, that they ran to where Jesus would from all of the towns, what does it suggest to you except that it was totally something unprepared, that they went quickly, they went in haste, they went without making due preparations, they went spontaneously without any forethought as to where they were going to go and to, as to what they were going to do to meet the ordinary deeds and needs of the ordinary day. Five thousand of them now gathered together on this mountaintop with Jesus, looked upon indeed far more compassionately by our Lord than by the disciples. Remember his disciples were all too much at this time like the Old Testament prophets in many ways. His disciples were all too ready to do once again what the Old Testament teachers had too often failed to do, but the Pharisees certainly in the day and the leaders of the church in the day of the people that they had failed to do, they were ready to scatter them again. The disciples were, what did they say to Jesus? Send them away. Scatter them into the surrounding countrysides and the villages that they may buy there something for themselves to eat. Jesus, Jesus won't have it. Jesus won't have it because the bread that they need isn't only the bread of wheat to satisfying the gnawing hunger of their stomachs, which they might have been able to get for themselves, but the real bread that they need is the bread of life, Christ himself, the messianic manna that had come down from heaven who alone can satisfy the gnawing hunger of the emptied human soul. The bread of life which God has ordained that they are to receive from the men 
whom he had handpicked himself to fulfill the words of God recorded by Jeremiah when he said, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. And so when the disciples said, send them away, Lord, send them away, Jesus says, no. He says, no, you give them something to eat. You, the shepherds, that I, the Lord God incarnate, have set over them. You feed them in my name. You feed them the bread of life. And the disciples say, in what might well be considered a sarcastic reply, and how, Lord, are we to do this? Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, 200 denarii was far more than the disciples ever had and could ever gather together, and so they are sarcastically suggesting, now, shall we go and spend 200 denarii to buy for all of these people? In essence, they're saying, Lord, you're, you're asking us to do the absolutely impossible. You're telling us to do what we can't possibly do to feed so many people with so little as we have. What, Lord, really? What, Lord, would you really have us do? His answer? Have them sit down. Have them sit down and watch me give you all that you will need to give them. And from five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus sat before the disciples, St. Mark tells us, enough bread and enough fish to serve all of the people. But he sat it before the disciples to serve to all of the people. He sat before them not only the food that they were to eat, but he sat before the people, the shepherds, who would serve it to them. And as your bulletin cover says, they all ate and they were satisfied. You see, the shepherds which the Lord sets over his sheep feed them simply and only that which the Lord provides for them in his extravagant grace. They serve not that which they can provide of themselves, but only that which the Lord can provide as he works through them to give them miraculous gifts of his extravagant grace for his precious people. God doing what only God can do and doing it through shepherds that he sets among us. Don't underestimate that, what God is doing right here today through his word that you hear preached and hear taught, or there at the font, as you've seen it happen so many times, where water and the word is being applied and God is there doing his work right here at the altar, where the bread of life, the manna from heaven, the bread of life himself, the Lord Jesus Christ in his blessed reality is being given to you in his very body and in his very blood, don't underestimate God's presence. Don't underestimate what God is doing, even though he's doing it through such simple means administered by the words and by the hands of very, very human shepherds that he has set among you. Think of God working through us in this way. Picture a child who has his paintbrush in hand, gleaming with eager excitement at the thought of putting the brush to the canvas, but enclosing his hand is the gentle hand of the world's greatest artist. All right, he says to the little boy, 
let's paint. And the hand of the artist moves with the hand of the little boy as their motion merges into a stroke here, into another stroke there, until finally, at last, the masterwork is totally completed. And then to see the artist smile and to see the child's delight as they together behold the stunning beauty of the picture that they have painted. The same God said through Jeremiah, I will set shepherds over you to care for you, is the same one who said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And then he provided them with bread to nourish the body and with the bread of life that nourishes the soul. And he does no less for you today, in body and in soul. He does no less for you today. Come, therefore, taste, see that the Lord is good, and you too will be among those of whom it's been said they all ate. And they were satisfied. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.